This morning, I'm going to start off by reading just one verse, and we're going to be in several, but I'm going to start off by reading from Isaiah 43, verse 7. Isaiah 43, verse 7. There were some notes over there, but I think they're gone now. The title of this of this sermon is, What Are We Doing Here? A Lesson in Purposeology. I don't know if that's a word, purposeology. Uh, it is now. Isaiah 43, verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created from my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that you would be exalted in our worship as we listen to your word with humble discernment. And we pray that your word would work powerfully within us, conforming us into the image of Christ, Lord. We give you the glory for Christ's sake. Amen. What are we doing here? Why are we here this morning? You could be watching football. There are many different things that you could be doing. It's been beautiful the past several months. There's many beautiful things that you could be doing outside right now. You could be skydiving. There's all kinds of different things that you could be doing. You could be fishing. But you're here on Sunday morning. What are we doing here? Have you ever had somebody come up to you and said, why do you go to church on Sunday morning? That's boring. Have your kids ever asked you, why do you go to church? Why are you at church? Are are you at church because your wife brought you and and drug you here? Could be true. Kids, are, are you here because your dad is a... One of the pastors here? Are you here because your spouse brought you, because your parents here? Maybe it's the kids that are bringing the parents to church. That happens at times. Why are we here? Are we wasting our time? Why are we here? I've had many people ask me throughout my life, why do you go to church? Why are you at church? Why? Well, I can... Think of a answer with one one word. We'll make it one sentence in a moment. But in one word, I think the best answer would be glory. Glory. G-L-O-R-Y. We're here because of glory. Next time somebody says, why do you go to church? Maybe you can even say it that way. Glory. And, you know, they'll kind of, whoa. Why are we here? We're here for glory, to see the glory of God, to savor the glory of God, and to share the glory of God. That's why we're here. We're here for a glorious purpose. It is not an insignificant thing that you do coming to church on Sunday morning. Just because somebody goes to church on Sunday morning may not be significant for them, but as believers, going to church on Sunday morning is Significant, because in a special and unique way, you can see, Savior, and share the infinite sweetness of the glory of God. Now, let me give you the 
the, the main point and a more specific statement for this sermon. We as a local church exist to make much of God in Christ through worship, work, and witness. We, as believers in Christ, seek to make much of God through Jesus as we engage in worship, work, and witness. That's the main point of this sermon, and then there'll be at least four supporting points, but that's the main point. That's your your take-home point, is that we seek on Sundays and then throughout the week that we're talking about as we gather together as an assembly, we seek to make much of God through Christ, through our worship, through our work, and through our witness. And now these will overlap each other. So it's not strict categories in the sense of we make much of God through worship, put that in a box, and then we have a second box and a third box of work and witness. Now these are all going to overlap and engage each other. And they can even dovetail into each other. Or we can say it this way. Often there's three E's. We exist to glorify God by exaltation, edification, and evangelism. So you can see it that way as well. So there's different ways you can say this. Now, before we get into these supporting points, if you notice the main sentence I made, we as a local church exist to make much of God in Christ. We say, make much of God in Christ. Why? Why do we say we make much of God in Christ? John 14, verse 6 says what? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man may come unto the Father except through him. Between God and man, there's one man, the man Christ Jesus. And so for us to make much of God, to to glorify God, to, to know God, to see God, we must believe and trust and turn to that one who is God incarnate, who has eternally been God, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question then again is, what are we doing here? Well, we're seeking to make much of God through Jesus Christ by worship, work, and witness. So let's look at these. So first, we exist to showcase the greatness and goodness of God. We exist to showcase, to put on display how infinitely great and good the Lord is. And we see this in several verses. We just read Isaiah 43, 7, where it says, And whom I have created for my glory. We were created for the glory of God. But even in the New Testament, we have the very popular verse. I'm sure that most of us know about this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 Whatever then, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If you're drinking coffee, if you're playing football, if you're walking your dog, you do it all to the glory of God. That's what verse 31 is saying, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So we were created, our, our purpose 
for creation, but to glorify God. All that we do as people are to glorify God, eating and drinking, whatever you do. Essential things or mundane things, we are to glorify God. First Peter chapter 4, First Peter chapter 4, verse 11 is speaking of spiritual gifts says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. And then here's the purpose, First Peter 4, 11. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So whether we are using our spiritual gifts whether we are drinking a cup of water or tea or coffee, it should always be to the exaltation, the honor, the glory of God. Now, this is true for all people everywhere throughout all time, especially Isaiah 43, 7. We exist to glorify God, believers and unbelievers. As, as believers, we have spiritual gifts given to us at regeneration, and we need to use those as well for the glory of God. But ultimately, this is a serious and fundamental problem. That is, giving glory to God for unbelievers, and it was for us before we believed and trusted Jesus. It's a condition of mankind. The mankind doesn't want to give the glory and the honor, the worth to God. This is what Scripture says, Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. Verse 23, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. The core of total depravity is this clenched fist which refuses to give the ultimate worth to God, but either wants the worth itself or to put that worth on some other type of creature. We were created for the glory of God, but outside of regeneration, outside of salvation, we want the glory, or we want to give it to another created being. This is even what a main verse that we share in evangelism is about in Romans 3.23 when it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not primary meaning that we fall short of God's uncreated, infinite, glorious being. Even angels, all of us, for all time, we always fall short of the glory of God in that sense. There's nobody that can measure up to God's very being. Ontologically, he is holy, he's separate, and set apart from every created thing. Rather, Romans 3.23 is primarily meaning that we haven't lived up to the glory of God. We were created to, to radiate and to give forth God, right? Genesis 1, we were made in the very image of God to model God and to model all that he is by our lives and attitude and actions and words and deeds. We, we refuse to do that. But God in his grace has given us the gospel. We have Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
the gospel is the good news that Jesus redeems those that, that trust in him, that trust in his death and resurrection for sinners. You turn from self and trust in him, we can be forgiven. And when we do that, that gives him glory. The, the worth of God and Christ as being that sufficient atonement and sacrifice radiates the, the glorious grace and mercy and majesty and holiness and even righteousness, as Romans 3 teaches us. So we are created for the glory of God. Our problem is we don't give the glory of God. God's We don't give the glory to God like we should by our lives and deeds. God's provided a solution. That solution is in Jesus Christ. When we trust him, God is glorified. And then by our lives, by how we live and even how we die and even forever and forever and forever experiencing that, that glorious riches of God's grace forever and ever gives him glory. So again, what we're talking about just... Before we even talk about church, our, our very purpose in life is not to, our primary purpose is not to make much of ourselves, but to make much of God. My primary purpose, even a husband, as a husband, is not to make much of my wife. That's not my primary purpose. My primary purpose is to make much of Jesus to her and to help her to make much of Christ. And the same with family and kids and church. But primarily, it's not about anything else, primarily about making much of the Lord. Now, we also need to say this. This is not that he needs us to glorify him, but rather the, but rather the best thing is for us to give him the glory. It's not that God needs me to make much of him. It's not that God is deficient and he needs Tom or you or the world or the universe to make up what he's lacking. If I didn't praise God today, this morning, God is not hurt by that, like we might be hurt, and then God's going to pout. Tom didn't give me glory. That's not our God. Our God is infinitely happy and satisfied there is sorrow over sin and there's anger because of his holiness. But God is not some type of being whereby he is missing something. God is not missing anything. God is complete. He doesn't need us to glorify him, but rather the best thing for us to do is to give him glory because we were created for that purpose. So we may talk about a worship service, which is not a, a bad phrase, worship service. But it's not that we come to serve God in the sense of, let me serve God like I serve a person. I might serve a person and they might have a legitimate need and that need must be met. They are lacking something. And if I can help them in that lack, that's a good thing. But we don't meet together to give God glory because he lacks glory and we're going to serve him by giving something which he lacks. Rather, when we showcase the, the significance of all that God is in Christ, that is medicine to our souls. What can heal your soul and your body is when you lift up and exalt God. 
It's for your benefit that you give God the glory because that's what you created by him to do. For God not to seek you to give him glory would mean that God was a false deity. If the most glorious thing in the universe is God, then God himself must want to be worshipped, right? If not, then he couldn't be God. Therefore, the very best thing for you to do for your soul, for your mind, and even for your body, ultimately, is that you give God the glory in all that you do. And we see this, and there's other places we could think of. But, for example, this is another verse that is well known, Jeremiah Chapter 9, verse 23, thus says the Lord, that is Yahweh, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. No let a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, that I am Yahweh, the, the one that has been and always will be, I am, I am that I am, the self-existing one who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. So we exist for him to radiate his glory because he is worthy. Now, a second supporting point. Again, we're saying, what are we doing here? We're seeking to make much of God through worship, work, and witness. We've just talked about making much of God. The Bible says we're created to make much of Him, to give Him the glory that is due. Now, we talk about worship, and we are at our second point. What do we mean when we say the word worship? The word worship means, of course, give Him worth. We say to God from our hearts, and modeled by our lives that he is worthy of worship. Isaiah 1.48, we're called to do this in so many places, but uh, I'm sorry, did I, say, did I say Isaiah Psalm 148? Praise the Lord, verse 1, Psalm 148. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights. Then it goes to verse 3, verse 4, praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him. Verse 13, let them praise the name of the Lord. Psalm 149, verse 1, praise the Lord. And of course, Psalm 150, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And then it tells us how to praise Him. Individually, and even these Psalms, however, are focusing not just on the individual, but even corporately, we're called to worship, that is, with our words and our lives, most of the imperatives and the epistles, when it talks about people living for Jesus, it's you all, that local body, we all together make much of God by worship, by witness, and by work. But by our, our worship. We're called to do that. And first we do this by singing his praises. First we do this by actually singing his praises. Psalm 96. 
Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Not just praise, but Psalm 96 actually uses the word what? Sing. Sing. For better or for worse, you have to, in one sense, put up with me singing. Sing. Sing to the Lord. Did you know that in many religions, there is singing? Why? We'll talk about that a little bit later. But here, sing. Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. There, there is singing. There is worship that is done through singing. Even in, in the New Testament, singing is not forgotten about. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. We speak to one another in psalms and hymns, but even here, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. There is this joyful singing from the heart that we see in Scripture. Even in the book of Colossians chapter 3, being very similar and parallel to Ephesians 5.18, Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ richly draw within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And it says, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The Bible says a lot about singing. We can you can even look at First Chronicles and Second Chronicles, right? There were singers out in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Even in the Old Testament, there were songs, there was singing. So let me say several things about singing. You don't have to write these down. You can just think about them. So and these will come hopefully uh, quick. I forgot my cell phone today. So did my wife. Nobody tossed her cell phone to me. Wall stuck. So all of these are different thoughts coming up out of the passages that were just read. First, there's many prescriptive and descriptive verses. You have some passages which are prescriptive. This is what you do. You must sing. Others are descriptive and maybe showing what happens in a congregation. Second, if you look at the passages of Colossians and Ephesians, if somebody is being controlled by the Spirit of God, and if somebody is treasuring the Word of God, a result of that is they do what? They sing. So we could say, if you don't like to sing spiritual songs... I'm not saying it's always the case. Maybe you have a sore throat. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're sick. But as a pattern of life, if you are someone doesn't like to sing songs to God, then maybe they're not walking in the Spirit. Maybe they're not treasuring the Word. Because if you're treasuring the Word, and if you have the Spirit of Christ, and you're being controlled by that Spirit, and you're seeking His face, you're, you're, you're not, but my voice could be bad. My voice could be bad. You know, to be honest, some of you know this. I don't really truly like hymns. I want to sing Petra, you know, White Heart. I I, I like to sing those kind of songs. But you know what? 
my heart is thrilled to sing a hymn because it's about Jesus. A third thing to think about. When you look at especially the Psalms, our worship of God by singing it should be clear, audible, you know, it should be um, spoken, uh, language, clear, sensible, biblical, cognitive. That is, what I'm saying is at times, I have heard some singing to be just, Jesus, 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 which is not bad, but it doesn't say Hardly anything at all. It's more like a mantra. Now, you have different psalms that can be very brief and very simple. That's good. But our singing should have clarity and a language that we know. And it should have some theological content, even if it's simple theological content. Praise him. Praise him, stars of the heavens. Praise him with stringed instruments. That's very simple. But it's biblical and it's clear. Biblical, clear, sensible language. And I think we can say this. Singing in a unique way expresses dynamics from our what? From our heart. Every culture, every community has a type of heart language that comes through music. You can go to a tribe in the deep jungles of Papua New Guinea, and most likely they have a type of music. Right? I've been many different places in the world. Some of you have been. It doesn't matter where you go. Almost every single culture has some type of music. Why? Music singing is expressing often, at least it can be, a, a mechanism of language that's from the inner person, from the deepest recesses of your heart. And so God has given us this in his word and through his providence. It's a type of heart language. So then, all that to say that one of the ways we worship God, one of the ways that we give him worth, one of the ways that that we lift up who he is, one of the ways that we radiate how awesome he is, is that from our heart, with sincerity, we sing. When we sing biblical songs from our heart, it honors God, same as the devil, and it works truth deep into your soul. When you sing from your heart biblical song songs, it honors God, same as the devil, works truth deep into your soul, and it can encourage a person that's standing right there beside you. So we make much of God through worship, and it's not insignificant to come to church to sing to Jesus. If somebody says, well, why do you go to church? I want to sing to Jesus with my whole congregation because that is eternally significant. We make much of God through worship by singing his praises, but even by preaching, even by preaching. Biblical preaching is worship. And when the 
preacher comes up to preach, it's not sifting from active to passive. It's not that you are actively singing, now you are passively sitting and listening and only receiving. That would be a a wrong image of preaching. It's not that we have left the worship time once the music has stopped, and now we're entering the word time. From beginning to end, it is worship time. It is making much of God by singing of his greatness and his goodness, his seriousness and his sweetness. And now as we are actively listening, we are still seeking to make much of God as we continue to worship him through actively listening. So as I gave a few ideas with singing, a few observations, a few observations with, with preaching, how to help you to go from actively singing to actively listening. Don't flip the switch and go, okay, now it's listening. So now I can think about my week. I can think about my past. I can think about these girls that maybe I'd I'd like to pursue, about this guy. I want him to ask me out. I can think about my job. I, I can think about this. I can think about that. That's passive listening. And it may be that you're not worshiping. So after we leave singing, we still want to worship, and we do that by active listening. Why does that look out? What does that look like? Well, many things. Number one is that you can say, speak to me, Lord, from the text. Just say that as the preacher, whoever it is, John, me, Brett, whoever it is, guest preacher, you're someplace else. Say, Lord, speak to me from your text. Speak to me from your word. Second, you can ask yourself, what do I need to learn? What do I need to learn from this text? Number three, you could say, what do I need to repent of and change? Like right now, hearing this this message about purpose, about why are we here, you can ask the Lord and then ask yourself, what do I need to repent of? Is there anything I need to repent of? Am I singing from a sincere heart with intelligence, thinking through the songs like I should? Am I actively listening? Do I even care about the glory of God at all? Do I need to repent of some of those things in my life? You can ask what encouragement is there from the text and message? What am I being encouraged to do? Write this down. Maybe you can ask, when I hear a message, how is this message telling me that I can be more like Jesus? Well, in this message, how, how can you be more like Jesus? I can be more consistent in making much of God through worship, work, and witness. How can I do that? What changes specifically do I need to make? You can ask, According to 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22, you need to listen with discernment. Anything that's bad or false, throw away. That which is good, keep on to and seek to do it. What's theologically accurate, what's not accurate? Listen with discernment. Have you ever heard a sermon and you start thinking, that person... My friend, that spouse, that person in front of me, that person beside me, thank you, Lord, that he's preaching this message because they need to hear it. Have you ever thought that? I have. 
Okay, I understand. But then have you ever prayed for that person? So if you start thinking about, this person needs to hear that, they probably do. Then pray for that person. Pray for the person in front of you, beside you. And then also pray for yourself. I also need to hear it. What can you praise God for as the word is being taught? Is there anything in this text that you can praise God for? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this. Thank you for this truth. Thank you that you created me to give you glory and that you redeemed me and that I can actually sing to you and you receive these songs. Thank you, Lord. Is there something that you should do as soon as possible? After hearing a message, is there something that you need to do ASAP? When you hear a message, sometimes you can get sleepy. Some of you probably need to get up and stand up at the back. Probably. I've told you before, I was just came back from India and had to sit in the front row. And Pastor John, I think he kept looking at me, at least it felt that way the whole time. Because I was in the front row, falling asleep. Because I was on Indian time, and I felt so bad. I had, I was struggling so much with my head going up and down. And in seminary, I taught Greek exegesis after lunch in India, where it's hot and we didn't have an AC, and often the power would go off. And so those men, and it's Greek, it's not super, super exciting. And so I told them, if you get sleepy, stand up, stand up. And so this is not passive time. It's not here just to, you know, you come, you sit down, did my duty, did my thing, okay, uh, I ranked out probably maybe a six on the sermon scale. You know, in one sense I care, but I don't care. But who does care? Is God. And so you want to do, and I, when I hear a message, want to do what we can do to actively listen. And so maybe that means that you get up and you stand in the back. Or, or take notes. And I'm preaching that to myself too. The points that I'm trying to make is we seek to make much of God by worship through purposeful, intelligent, reasonable, clear singing. You, you actually are singing a song about God to who? To God. It's not a game. It's not fake. It's real. And then when we hear his word, I don't mean hear me, but hear his word, it's God and his word. It's who is speaking to you. I don't mean my voice or everything I say is right. But when we look at his word, when it's explained and applied and his spirit is working through it, who is speaking? God is speaking. It's his written word. Again, it's not fake, it's real. And it is sweet, but it's also what? Serious. And as we actively sing and actively listening, Lord, speak to me. Yes, Lord. I see it in the word. And we start confessing our sin. Lord, how can I confess this? What changes do I need to make? Then God is being lifted up. God is being exalted. So do you sing to God with seriousness and sweetness, and do you listen with humble discernment, seeking to do the word? 
Now, third supporting point. So somebody maybe says to you tomorrow, why do you go to church? What should you say? Glory! For the glory of God! Well, maybe you can say it like this, because of glory. You say it, maybe you say it really soft. And so then they lean forward. Glory! Glory! And they say, what are you talking about? I want to see, I want a Savior, and I want to spread the glory of God. But you can just do that at home. You can just do it at home. Everybody at church is a hypocrite. They're all hypocrites. The church is corrupt. That's sometimes what you can hear. Well, the scripture teaches that there is a uniqueness and a, a specialness when the body of Christ gets together. It's called the body of Christ. The church isn't stone and brick and buildings. It's a body of Christ in which the Holy Spirit dwells. Most of the time in the New Testament, when it talks about you are the church or you are the body of Christ, it's you all. It's you are plural. Most of the time, when it talks about you having the Spirit, it means you, this local body of Christ. You have the Holy Spirit because you're a part of the universal church. But the New Testament is talking about in a unique and a special and a specific way. There is an intensity of worship that happens when it's corporate. So that's why we come together, to make much of Him. We can do that of individuals, but especially when we come together. And we do that through worship, but we also do that through work. And this is the third point, is the third supporting point. We make much of God through work. And you can see this in, in so many places. Uh, Ephesians 4.12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. But even second, not, not second, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And I love this passage, this verse. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which is also able to perform its work in you who believe. And we're familiar with Philippians 2.12, right? Therefore, as beloved children, even if I'm absent, not only in my presence, but even if I'm absent, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God that is working within you. There is this exaltation of God, this uplifting of God, when as believers... We work. God works by His Spirit and us, His Word. We also work at our salvation. But even Ephesians 4.12 is that we do works of service for others. So we are being built up. We are being made more and more mature in Christ. Out of that maturity, then, we also do work. Now, I should clarify that we're not saved by our works. We're saved, though, to work. Ephesians 2.10 for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for beforehand that we would walk in them. We seek to do work for God. 
And so when we come, again, as I said, there is this overlapping of uh, worship, work, and, and witness. But when we come and we're getting ready to hear this sermon, I pray this for myself. I pray this for John's preaching. I pray it for my own sermon. I pray it for others. And I'll pray, Lord, do your work in me. I, I invite you through your word to work in us. That's why before I, I preach, I, I try to pray and to pray some type of prayer, calling God, God, work in us, do something in us. And so we want to pray. So sometimes if somebody asks you, why are you going to church this morning? You can say, because I need a lot of work done. Like sometimes maybe your car is missing. Somebody might come to you. Where's your car, man? I had to get some work done on it. I had to get some work done on it. What do you mean? Well, my car has a problem. It needs this and this to be fixed. You know, i got to get a new battery, alternator, all these different things. Well, in a similar fashion, how many of you and me have some things that, that are wrong and that need to be worked on? I do. I have things in my life that I need God to work on it. How does God work on things in our life? Through each of us, through the singing, and through the preaching. And so we come and we say, Lord, cleanse me, enlighten me. Convict me. Work on me. That's what First Thessalonians 2.13 is saying. God works his word within us. What is this work? It's a work of conviction. It's a work of change. And so there is this making much of God by saying, Lord, I'm not where I should be. Do your work within me through the singing and through the preaching of your word. Really, if you think about it, you could even say we make much of the Lord by, by word. When you sing, what are you singing? A fight song for the Seahawks? Go Seahawks. No, what are we singing? We're singing the word. It's oftentimes the word of God, almost verbatim. Otherwise, it's a very theologically correct song, which is consistent with the word. We're singing the word, and then we hear the word and discern the word and asking God, God, convict me, shape me, enlighten me, work in me. I need you to work your word deep into my soul. And that's one of the reasons why I, I go to church. I, I need to be preached at. Lord, preach your word to me. We, we need to be then equipped by the word, and we see that in Ephesians 4.12. The word... In Ephesians 4.12, where it talks about being equipped. Ephesians 4.12. For the equipping of the saints, it's the idea of outfitting. It's the idea that of a soldier being given the, the different battle equipment that he needs, trained in, in a skill. It's the idea of a type of a, a Christian spiritual dojo where you might go to be trained how to fight. Here, you come and you get trained how to fight sin and Satan and, and, and darkness by singing and hearing the word. Sin is going church. You're being trained. You're being outfitted with a biblical theological, theological truth, which is the sword of the Spirit. And then when we're trained and outfitted, we can live by works of service. You can see that in Ephesians 4.12. To the building up of the body of Christ. We are equipped to do ministry. 
And it says in Ephesians 4.12, the equipping of the saints, every Christian is a saint, for the work of service, and it's the work of ministry. This is the reality. Every Christian is a saint, and every Christian is a minister. You come. The, the very next time somebody says, why do you go to church? I, I, I'm a minister there. If you're a Christian, you're a minister. That is the truth. Don't let Satan and the world and churchology throughout the ages deceive you, right? Only the really, really, really spiritual people like Mother Teresa are saints. You can only be a saint if you've trusted by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. That's the only way you could ever truly be a saint. So some people that we have said, by we I mean the world, or the church at large, or saints, may not even be saints. But also this verse, Ephesians 4.12, is saying that every Christian should be at least engaged in ministry because they are saints that minister. Every Christian is a minister, but not every Christian is a pastor. We're all ministers here. And then out of those ministers, God calls some to be pastors. Now, don't take what I'm saying and be confused. There's many churches, many uh, denominations which will say ministers are elders and elders are ministers. And, and that's it. Like, like a minister is an elevated platform. Okay, fine. But the reality is, is that every member of the body of Christ is to be engaged in doing ministry. All of you, in some way, should be engaged in ministering to the body. And if you're not, that's sin. It's true. If you're not engaged in some type of serving the body somehow, and, you know, physically you're able to do it, uh, all things being equal, well, you're not making much of God. You're, you're being lazy. Now, I know most of you, all of you almost, are, are engaged and, and doing ministry somehow in the body of Christ. That could be even secretly, right? You could be on your knees at home praying all the time. <laughs> and nobody ever knows except for Jesus. That's ministry. Am I being clear? The word I want us to get is the idea of work. Work. In one sense, I understand, but in one sense, Sunday is not your day off. I guess I'm not a Sabbatarian, but Sunday is not your day off. By that, what I mean is that we come to church to be worked on. Why, why do you go to church? I need God to work on me. Why else do you go to church? I, I go to church to get to work. It may be setting up chairs. It may be putting down chairs. It may be to help with, with communion. It, it may be I go to somebody and say, how can I pray for you? Okay, let me pray now, but I'm going to be praying all week. Okay, and that took maybe three minutes. That's ministry. That's work. And then God, because you're being like Jesus, that is both witnessing and worshiping and making much of God. 
What are we doing here? We're seeking to make much of God by worshiping him and then getting busy with work. Becoming more like Jesus takes work. I also to, to get there, I need God to work in me. And also I need other people to be doing works of service. And so we all working together to work out our salvation. And then we all work together to help all of us to be more like Jesus. And that's making much of God. And then finally, we make make much of God through witness. And we've talked about this in the last sermon, so I won't say near as much as I said in all the other points. We glorify God through exaltation, edification, and evangelism. We make much of God in Christ through worship, work, and then witness. What is this? What is evangelism? What is witness? We declare the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for every sinner that believes, turns from their sin, and trusts him. Then their sin can be forgiven, and they can experience the glories of heaven forever. First Peter 3.18 is that Christ died for sin once and for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. That's the gospel. And so we can make much of the, the seriousness, the sweetness, the, the holiness, and the goodness of God by sharing that good news with people. How do we do that? Very quickly and very basically. When we gather for worship, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 23 talks about that if the whole church is speaking in a language that people don't understand, it's not really a witness. But if somebody is giving a a clear word of God in a language everybody understands, then that person is going to say, I'm convicted. God is here. God's truth is here. I I repent. So there is a general witness when we gather together as a congregation. There's a witness to God of his seriousness and his sweetness, his greatness and his goodness by the singing and the, the clear preaching and the clear singing God is witness to. There is, however, you can see in the book of Acts, this truth, and many preachers and mission organizations have pointed this out. We gather together for worship and we scatter for evangelism. We gather together for worship and we scatter for evangelism. So you have Matthew 28 verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples. And it's therefore going, make disciples of all the nations. That is, we come together for edification. We come together for exalting God. And then out of that, being nourished, uh, being fed, confessing, doing one another's, out of that, then we go and we do evangelism. What, what does that look like? Uh, just the other day, I was walking with my wife, and then it happens all the time. She'll get in a conversation with somebody all the way across the street. My goal is to go inside and get something to eat. Her goal, as she walks around the neighborhood, there's a person she can talk to. All the way across the street. How you doing? How's life? How's your mom? How's cousin Bob? And to that relationship, the gospel is shared. Even as a body, we have outreaches. There's Maple Creek. 
Even today, there's Maple Creek. John is going. There's the 4th of July. Maybe this year, we haven't done it in a while because of COVID, but maybe we can do it this year. I don't, I don't think we did it last year. Caroling. Maybe we, we can carol this year. We've done it in the past. Maybe this year we can do that. We've gone to the juvenile hall. Maybe we, there's ways we can improve the 4th of July. Maybe we can all dress up like American flag, but then have crosses or something and have patriotic Christian hymns being sung. You know, there's always all kinds of things that we can do. Um, maybe the International House of Pancakes manager, maybe we just give him a small gift saying, thanks, man, for letting us meet her. We've been meeting there for, I don't know. Eight years, nine years, ten years. You know what I'm saying? Just being creative. We want to be biblical and then think of ways to extend hospitality and love. We, we support the Panjwanis. Pray, give, and go. These are all different ways. And there's other care centers, many different ways that we can do evangelizing. We seek to do it ourselves, seizing opportunities where we are. Even as a congregation, though, we can do that when we gather together. Why? Why do we do this? And we're going to end Surely. Why do we do this? In evangelism, true worshipers of God are made. God uses evangelism to make true worshipers. You remember Romans 1 says, Though they know God, they didn't honor him or give him thanks, and they exchanged the glory of God for this corruptible image, and we've fallen short of the glory of God. But then what we see in Philippians 3.3 is the exact opposite. After Paul is converted, he says he glories in Christ Jesus. And he says to the Corinthian Christians over and over again in the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. What evangelism does is by the Spirit of God is it takes somebody that doesn't want to give glory to God, that doesn't want to truly worship God, and it turns them into true worshipers. Christ said he came to give abundant life and eternal life. And in a high priestly prayer, John seventeen three, and this is eternal life, that they may know the only true God, the Father, And the one that he sent, Jesus Christ. Knowing God, giving him glory. Evangelism is the ordained by God, ordained means by which God makes true worshipers. That's why we evangelize. So why are are we here? If you want to know this sermon in one word, it's glory. Three words, glory of God. If you want to know a whole sentence, it's to make much of God through Christ by worship, work, and witness. Or if you want to say it differently, we want to see the glory of God, to savor the glory of God, and then to share the glory of God. Certainly we can do that as individual or as a family, But by God, he's called us as one, as one local body to do that together. And when we do that together, there is a significance that is not there when it's just one person by yourself. Because we are a local body of Christ. Let me ask a question this way. Do you want to be the best you that you can be? 
Do you want to be the best you that you can be in Christ? Or do you just want to be a mediocre person? I think all of us have this desire of, I don't want to be mediocre. I want to be the, the very best Christian that I can be. I want to be the best version of me that I possibly can. The only way to do that is to make much of God through worship, work, and witness. The way to make the very best version of you, the avenue to get there is to make much of God. Because that is what you were created for. And if you're seeking to make much of yourself, it's not going to work out well for you. Make much of God through worship, work, and witness, and you will become the very best version of yourself in Christ that you could ever be. What is the one word if somebody says to you, why do you go to church? What's the one word you could say? Glory. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for Christ. And Lord, even your word says... In Philippians 3, at the end of that section, it says that you are conformed the humble state of our body into conformity with your glorious body. Lord, that you would share your glory within us. You even are the hope of glory. Tremendous truth, Lord, that you give to us. We, people of humble means and redeemed sinners, Lord, that you would love and share with us your glory? That is beyond our imagination, Lord. We give you thanks for that. Use your word, Lord. Truly, as we said, work your word into our hearts that we might make much of you by our words and by our deeds. We give you praise. Amen.